All right. Welcome, everybody. This is the first in a series of podcasts from the MSU Department of English Graduate Program. My name is Justice Neeland. I am professor of English. I work in modernism and film studies, and I'm currently the associate chair of graduate studies in the Department of English. This is my second year in this administrative gig, and it's a real pleasure to be here with a series of colleagues uh, talking about new initiatives in the graduate program. Um, the topic of our, our conversation today is a really exciting new initiative called the Muse Scholars Program. And we're going to say a lot more about that uh, in the time that we have today. But before we get going, I want to allow my colleagues to introduce themselves. Let's start with Yamira. Hi, everybody. My name is Yomaira Figueroa, and I'm assistant professor in the Department of English, and I teach Afro-Diaspora uh, Studies and Literature and Ethnic Studies. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Brianna Jones. I am a doctoral candidate in the Department of English, currently writing my dissertation on the black lesbian radical tradition. Hello. My name is Devia Victor, and I'm an assistant professor whose investments are in creative writing and contemporary transnational and North American poetry and poetics. Hello. My name is Tamara Butler. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of English. Um, I also do work uh, with the African-American African Studies Program. My interests are in black girl literacies, mm. um, land and black women's storytelling, and whatever else that's to do with black women and things. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys all again for, for joining us. Again, this is the first in a series of conversations about new initiatives in the grad program. In podcasts to come, we're going to be inviting faculty who are teaching graduate seminars to talk about their courses. We're going to invite graduate students who have taken advantage of resources in the department and gone out and done research to talk about their research and a range of other things that we're doing in the grad program. Um, but it's a, it's a real pleasure today to be talking about maybe the most exciting new initiative uh, in the department this year, which is the Muse Scholars Program. So I want to say just a little bit about what it is and invite my colleagues to, to jump in and talk about why it's important and why we're so proud to be running the workshop. Um, so we love our acronyms, right, at, at uh, universities and institutions. And, and this is a great one. And I have to give a shout out to Yamira for coming up with it. Um, MUSE stands for Mentoring Underrepresented Scholars in English. And in its essence, it's an all expenses paid workshop that we're going to be hosting in East Lansing this November 14th through the 18th for prospective students, either current undergraduate students thinking about a career in uh, English graduate school or related discipline or current master's students. And we are specifically targeting um, students from historically underrepresented groups. And we're going to bring a group of five to six uh, students on campus, and we're going to effectively expose them to what graduate studies um, in the 21st century in English is all about. Um, we're going to do that via a series of kind of hands-on, intensive, on-the-ground um, conversations and, and um, panels with our current graduate faculty and current graduate students. And I think the goal really is to, in this kind of compressed window of time, begin to develop a set of skills and habits of mind that are essential, not just to applying to, successfully applying to graduate programs in English, but thriving um, in graduate school and, and then um, going on into the academy and, and succeeding. Um, part of what I think the, the workshop is also about is effectively demystifying 
the process of mm-hmm. applying to graduate school, which is it can be shrouded in mystery, and we can talk more about um, why that process of demystification is especially important for the students that we're, um, we're eager to have uh, on campus. Um, I also wanted to say a quick thing about why we're doing this, and then I want to invite my colleagues to share their own perspectives about why Muse is so important. Um, I think on a global level, all of us at this table are interested in uh, transforming in some fundamental way the composition of the professoriate. And we see the Muse program as a, a, a local step effort in that broader uh, endeavor. Uh, we're all acutely aware of how historically um, at institutions of higher learning in the US, um, faculty has been overrepresented by men uh, and by white men in particular, and that is changing and needs to change um, rapidly. And we see the program as part of that larger institutional transformation. I think that's a kind of on a macro philosophical level part of what the Muse program is about. But there's also just from the perspective of um, these, these graduate students who are thinking about applying to graduate school, who are actively involved in the process of putting together their application materials, this is a really invaluable um, opportunity for them to get a chance to workshop their materials, to have certain kinds of genres of, of um, the application process, again, demystified, and, and to get a, a, a number of informed eyes on their um, on their materials. I hope we can all maybe talk a little bit about our own experiences applying to graduate school, but I remember when I did this a, a long time ago, um, the faculty who, who uh, talked us through what this meant described this as the gloom and doom speech. And, and they would do this every year to, to students who are thinking about graduate school. And, and it doesn't need to be that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't need to be a process of intimidation and, 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 and uh, producing anxiety for students. Um, the last thing I would say about why we're doing it from my perspective is uh, we're really proud of what's going on in the graduate program. We've hired extraordinarily well. Um, the evidence of that success is, is sitting at the table um, with me today. And um, we see the Muse program as also a recruitment opportunity uh, a chance to expose uh, students to our faculty and to our graduate students and to the culture of the graduate program and to show them the great work we're doing here and encourage them to apply. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I think that the MUSE program uh, is especially important because I think that it's coming um, at a time where universities are transforming um, into more political spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think that going off of my personal experience um, as an underrepresented person in communities um, at the collegiate level, certain conversations are not had with um, black and brown students about post-grad options. And I think that what MUSE serves is sort of this um, conduit that students can um, walk through and receive different mentorship that they may not be getting at their personal universities. I know that I was blessed with a mentor um, in undergraduate in undergraduate school, but I had to contact her after I had already graduated. So there were not conversations being had with me um, in my English department about options mm-hmm. outside of a bachelor's degree. Yeah. And I think that the MUSE program is especially important for underrepresented students who may be in departments um, who may not offer those particular resources. And... Um, I think that in addition to what we do as a recruiting strategy in February with our critical institutions, that MUSE is definitely necessary, um, a necessary component, a necessary 
complementary component to what we do in February for students who may be from communities um, wherein they don't have conversations about mm -hmm. higher education. Mm -hmm. And that's mainly why I think that it's really important because we get the opportunity to have these workshopping conversations about our graduate school materials and get insight from professors, um, especially in ways that we would, would not have traditionally had if we were housed in a traditional English program. And I think that our department in general is interdisciplinary yeah. in ways that a lot of other English departments are not. Mm -hmm. So even with the recruitment of students for MUSE, they may see that they can um, take courses in women's studies or CLS or AAAS, et cetera. So you recruit like a robust group of students and not just folks who are sort of modernist or <laughs> Victorianist. Indeed, yeah. I think there is um, a real shift that is happening in English departments across the country, but um, not in all of them, right, in, in some key ones. I remember um, as an undergraduate student applying, and I think I've told Justice's story, applying to uh, graduate programs in English. I was an English major, and I also majored in Puerto Rican studies and women's and gender studies. And uh, I applied with this project that I wanted to um, have, uh, you know, research uh, Latinx and um, Spanish-speaking Caribbean literature. And I applied to, I think, 19 graduate schools, mostly in English. And my advisors at the time were like, you know, Yomaira, you should probably apply to ethnic studies, or you should probably apply to American studies or comparative literature. We don't think that an English department would be interested in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I was just so mm -hmm. stubborn about it. And I said, you know, I spent all of my undergraduate career in the English department, which actually didn't teach any of those things, right? right? But for me, it didn't click that the English departments were not interested in um, the literature of Latinx people mm -hmm. or Afro-Diasporic people, broadly speaking. They were really interested in African-American literature at the undergrad institution that I was at and also kind of the, the English canon. And uh, I was rejected from all of the English programs that I applied to. And I was only accepted to the complete program, the two ethnic studies programs, and the you know American studies program that I uh, applied to. And I was in shock mm -hmm. because I thought, like, wow, I just spent my entire undergraduate career studying this thing, and this thing doesn't want me or the research, right? And for me, it was really about, like, the thing that I really loved. Um, they didn't care for it. Um, and I think there was, like, this turn... Uh, a few years after that, because by the time I went on the job market, the only jobs I would get were in English departments, mm -hmm. right? So I would apply widely, but all of the job offers I've ever gotten have all been from English departments yeah. that are really seeking to change um, this kind of very traditional way that they were thinking about English. Mm -hmm. Now, my undergrad institution still doesn't have anyone that does Latinx Lit, right? Wow. <laughs> but we do have that here at MSU, and we really are interested um, in the very different ways that students are thinking about um, thinking and researching the humanities, right? Mm -hmm. and, and when we're talking about underrepresented students in the professoriate and the academy, uh, when we, I was talking to Justice about this as we were developing the MUSE program, we took um, some of the information from the Ford Foundation. We really took uh, an, uh, this key information from them, thinking about how do you create a program that really is targeted um, to the thing, the goal that you that you have, like the thing that you want. And so for the Ford, they have uh, all of this, um, all of these statistics. And so for them, when we're talking about underrepresented students in the academy, um, they have it really plainly. And I think oftentimes we have this thing where we want to like parse out our language, but mm -hmm. for them it's Alaska Natives, Black African Americans, Mexican Americans, Chicanos, um, and Chicanas, Native American Indians, Native Pacific Islanders, and Puerto Ricans as historically underrepresented groups in the U.S. professoriate. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's something that we wanted to 
uh, key in for, uh, key into for the Muse program. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to kind of put that out there um, as something that we are really hoping to not only kind of, you know, transform universities because that's a very kind of lofty goal that is, right. you know, um, but at least uh, transform um, the English graduate program at MSU mm-hmm. while we're here, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I wonder, Yamaya, if you could say a little bit about, since you've been in the department for several years now, how you see what we're doing with Muse as connecting to other efforts in the department to recruit and retain a diverse group of graduate students. Well, I think when I got here, there wasn't much of a recruitment strategy at all for uh, for recruiting students of color or students with uh a different area of interest outside of what was in the department. I think the department really had a hard time trying to figure out what it was going to do with all of this new faculty that it hired that did Afro-Diaspora work um, or that did ethnic studies work. Um, And our department has so many different components to it. We have, like, the creative writing and film, and then we have these kinds of specialties, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think over the past few years, we really tried to figure out how are we going to think about ourselves as a department and what are the kinds of students that we want to have. And do you have any experience with the uh, like recruitment and stuff like that? Oh yeah, I wasn't recruited at <laughs> all. Um, I just I apl- I applied um, to programs that I thought could could serve some of my like research needs. Yeah. Um, but I will say that the correspondence between Dr. Aslami and I is really what mm-hmm. had me choose MSU mm-hmm. over other institutions. Mm-hmm. So I think that going from her recruitment, because recruitment, I think if it doesn't happen on, like, the back end, yeah. it can still happen at the point of contact. Mm-hmm. And um, she read my packet. She emailed me right away. She emailed me on a holiday, actually, mm. with my acceptance. And we talked constantly throughout the process. Mm-hmm. And she immediately gave me emails of the folks who I mentioned in my letter. And then when I came to visit in February, I had one-on-one meetings with those folks. Mm-hmm. So I think on a microcosmic level, there was an investment in me, right? I'm yeah. not sure if, if other underrepresented students can say the same thing. But that level of, um, I think, interest right away and um, that openness, that transparency, mm-hmm. um, and her doing the work, right? So she explained that this is what my package would be. However, they were working to give me something um, different than what the department was offering other students. And I didn't have to to follow up with her about that, which can also be um, a little daunting as a a student or as a person in an unfamiliar space, not knowing what questions to ask. So she did a lot of the the work in the beginning at the point of contact. Mm -hmm. Um, And you all didn't lose my materials like other (laughs) institutions. Yeah, so um, I think the organization and the clear communication and the constant communication mm-hmm. was the beginning process to what became a concretized recruiting strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we have our, our students, like once they arrive here, they have a such great rapport with their uh, faculty mentors and their advisors. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that has been longstanding is that when we do have students, um, especially students of color come into the program, they can count on the faculty to really support them in a lot of ways. And I think it's different than perhaps other graduate school experiences where you're kind of like a lone wolf and you have to like mm-hmm. bang down the door and try to see if someone will help you with your project. And so I think what Michigan State has had or the Michigan State English Department has had for a long time is faculty who are really responsive to students. Um, and now what we're trying to address is like how do we get more students mm-hmm. coming into the to the department to really reflect the interest and the kind of um, potential um, kind of 
research, I don't know, I want to be like potentiality, I don't know, some like the um, the work that we really want to see produced, mm-hmm. you know, how do we get students to, to now come to the program and not just, you know, drop that the application as a, well, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it'll work, maybe right. it won't, but like really want it, like we want students to come here and really see that this is a place uh, that they're wanted and that will foster their their research mm-hmm. and that will act, you know, and that will like actively mentor them in in um, going into the professoriate or going into an alternative academic career. I, I want to touch base on a couple of uh, issues, um, uh, initiatives in the department that um, are relatively new, but I think are part of this um, uh, effort. I'm thinking specifically about the Women of Color Initiative. Yamara, I, I thought you might want to chat a little bit about that. Um, but I'm also interested in um, saying something about just bit the work of building intellectual community amongst a diverse group of students. And and I want to ask um, Brianna, if she's, if she's willing to talk about it, to say a little bit about the Race, Pedagogy, and Lit Research Workshop. One of the things that I um, that was very apparent to me coming into this position was that faculty and graduate students as a whole weren't having enough uh, more informal conversations about their um, research interests outside of the classroom. And so we developed these uh, so-called research workshops, these co-curricular um, regular conversations around shared research interests. Race, pedagogy, and lit is one. Feminisms, gender, sexualities is another. We have another one on moving images. And these are meant to be a kind of organic moving reflection of uh, faculty and graduate student interests. And, and we, we see that, or at least I see that, as connected to, and I think other people on the graduate committee see that as connected to um, a, a broader effort to build community and, and to sort of um, produce the experience of, of being in a meaningful cohort. Um, so th- thoughts about the, the Women of Color Initiative or Race Pedagogy Lit? Yeah, for sure. So the Women of Color Initiative is um, kind is part of this um, board of organizing that we've been doing here at MSU. Um, and it's also tied to organizing that I've done in my undergrad, undergrad institution and especially in my graduate institution. Um, and so I, in both of those places, there were Women of Color Initiatives programs that are participated in and organized. And so I wanted to just say that because it's not like a new thing, but it's actually building off the work of many incredible women of color um, organizers around the country. And so here at MSU, um, I developed it alongside um, some faculty in the English department um, and then branched out to uh, reach out with faculty, women of color faculty and other programs. Um, Tamara here is part of the Women of Color Initiatives um, Collective. And what we do is we uh, organize events on campus and bring in speakers um, that can help us address some of the questions, concerns, um, and kind of um, imaginings that women of color have on campus. It really is uh, trying to get together or try to bring together um, undergraduate, graduate, and faculty, women of color, um, and their allies um, to listen to and engage with um, different folks. And so we've been able to bring Leanne Simpson. We brought in Ana Castillo. We brought in an artist in residence, um, Shawnee Peters. We did a book launch for um, our colleague, Ray Paris. Um, we are bringing in this year uh, a muralist called Nani Chacon. Um, in the spring, we're going to bring in Mayra Santos Febres. I think Shelly Moraga is also going to come um, in the event that we're co-sponsoring. And so 
uh, what's really exciting for us in terms of doing, oh, and I can't forget, the very first Women of Color Initiative speaker is Alexis Pauling Gums. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, uh, you know, one of the things that we do in addition to bringing these speakers is when they come, they don't come for just a one kind of uh, one-day talk, but they come and they do workshops with students. They have lunch with grad students. They have dinner with women of color faculty. We have a reception that's open to all faculty. Um, we'll, we will also try to support them in their work by selling their books um, and by making sure that their time here um, is, you know, uh, you know, they have like a lot of things to do, but they also have time for themselves. And mm-hmm. so we really kind of build in for them and pay them fairly, which is really important. But mm-hmm. also having students have access to them mm-hmm. um, and access to their work and to have like this one-on-one connection um, with the speaker. And in addition to the Women of Color Initiative speaker series and the artists in residence, um, we also have a health and wellness um, kind of a part of it where we partner with a woman of color owns a yoga studio in Rio Town in Lansing, um, Just Be Yoga. And uh, Just Be uh, is, becomes a space for us where um, we can have uh, yoga or meditation se- um, sessions. Um, Belinda Thurston, who's the owner of that studio, has been really generous um, with her time um, and, um, and with all of her knowledge and has um, really created some uh, beautiful sessions for us. And we are hoping to continue to part with her, partner with her as we go on. And so um, I think, Tamara, is there anything um, that I missed about Women of Color Initiatives? No. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think, you, I think you got them all. Um, there's not, I think the one thing that I can say if we're thinking about grad recruitment in particular is the kinds of ways that the Women of Color Initiative brings students into the room together that I think is a very, um, it's a it's a really beautiful thing. I can't think of another word for mm-hmm. it. But to see when the speakers come, um, when artists and residents come, when events are held, that what you find is that the students are coming from all across campus. And so then you start to see kind of different kinds of communities being built, and not communities as in like kumbaya holding hands, but mm-hmm. really starting to think about what does it mean to be an intellectual, to be a woman of color, to really invest um, time and and be in conversation with. And so I think that's one of the things about the the events that I've seen that I really appreciate is the kind of ways in which it, it gets students to come outside of their disciplinary box for a minute, um, mm-hmm. to come out of their part of campus and really sit down at a table literally um, with scholars and writers and artists and think differently about what does it mean um, to do this work or to do this work as a woman of color, but also what does it mean to do this work with women of color? So I I think that that's one of the things about the space that I also find to be uh, really powerful. Um, so, yeah. I wonder if we could t- turn more directly back to the Muse workshop, because you might I know you've been working hard on putting together uh, an itinerary. And I wonder if you could say a little bit about some of the highlights of that um, and what you are particularly excited about. Um, so, yeah, so we uh, put together a sensitive itinerary. We can't wait to figure out who is going to be joining us for the Muse program, and I think a little bit might shift. Um, but what's really exciting for me uh, is the the workshops that we're going to have in terms of, like, how to apply to graduate school, um, especially the money-managing workshop, like right. kind of the, the nitty-gritty. Um, and also the time that we're going to be able to have with students to work on their cover letters and on their materials. I think when I was um, applying for graduate school, I wanted all the help that I could get, and I wasn't getting much help Mm -hmm. in terms of um, uh, editing and writing the materials that you need and and making sure that I had, like, 
you know, everything um, that would make my dossier competitive, right? And so we're going to be able to have that. But then uh, one exciting thing is, um, another exciting thing, is uh, the roundtables that we are hoping to have or that we're planning to have, um, where the students are going to also be able to present some of their research Mm -hmm. alongside some of the faculty and perhaps some of the graduate students um, here at MSU. Um, And then we have lots of downtime. So we (laughs) are hopefully going to go bowling. Um, We're trying to hook up with a Just Be Yoga student to see if we can get, like, a private yoga session. Um, If you want, uh, you know, it's not mandatory, but um, we're going to go to another part of, um, we're going to kind of venture to different parts of Lansing and East Lansing um, so that prospective students can get a sense of the space. And so we're going to spend some time in uh, real town at some of the coffee shops. There's a great barbecue spot. There's a great... uh, uh, record uh, shop. Did I say coffee shop already? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. I just dairy coffee. store. Let's not the forget dairy the MSU story. dairy yeah. store. <laughs> <laughs> Our ice cream is famous. Uh, catch us there uh, like four days a week. Okay, so <laughs> um, and so we are uh, really excited to be able to um, balance that and hopefully ma- model <laughs> the kind of uh, work-life balance that we're all trying to perfect mm-hmm. um, in the academy. And so, uh, yeah, so I think that's that, those are some of the things that I'm excited about for the itinerary. Um, how about you, Justice? I mean, I'm, all of the things that you've described are, are fantastic. We're going to have a great time. I think for, I'm kind of curious to hear from other folks how much feedback you received on your application materials, mm-hmm. um, how you found that process. Um, I, the process of applying to graduate school, I think, generally can be anxiety-producing. Mm-hmm. It's lonely. It's onerous. Um, it, uh, it's just not a lot of fun. It's expensive. <laughs> Absolutely, it's expensive. So oh, I wonder- and MU students will get a waiver for if they apply to the English program. Is that correct? Absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah. So other, other people want to share their experiences applying and, and how they see what we're going to be doing with these students on campus as, as um, connected to their own uh, history of applic- uh, applying. Yeah, when you know when I was applying for graduate programs, I definitely experienced it as a lonely, lonely writing process with with not many people to talk to, and the feedback I did receive was very much pushing me in the direction of like, how do you follow conventions? How does like, how can I edit you? How can I correct you? But I think the application process and mentoring someone in the application process really begins with asking them questions about how their identity and their community and their methods intersect within the field they want to enter, how, how they actually mm-hmm. achieve a kind of mutuality or connectivity between who they are, what they want to study, and who they want to speak with throughout graduation, uh, their graduate career and beyond, you know. And so I see, you know, Muse as offering that early mentorship that looks like co-dreaming, like helping them articulate right. and, and imagine a dream for themselves into the future, um, rather than just a sort of corrective, like, you missed a semicolon, and that's not how you begin a letter and end it, you know. Mm-hmm. So not correction, not editing, um, not disciplining writers into the conventions of academic applications, but really helping them articulate their dreams for themselves as intellectuals and scholars. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we could uh, talk a little bit about, um, and I'm, I'm curious to hear from everyone's, uh, uh, everyone on this, like specific uh, challenges and opportunities uh, for graduate sco- students from historically underrepresented groups in graduate school. Um, I'm, I'm, Brianna, I, I, I know, you know you talked a little bit about um, recruitment efforts getting you here, but um, can you say a little bit about your experience on campus in the program, um, what you see as 
as um, having been, you know, difficult in, in your experience here, um, what you see is uh, uh, ways in which the department has um, supported or not your, your work, your aspirations intellectually and otherwise? So I've had um, a great experience at MSU. I actually came in, here in the fall of 2015, and there were some um, faculty changes that had transpired. And originally, I was a little apprehensive because I wanted to work with a faculty member who was tenured or going up for tenure. Right. Um, and then she decided to leave the department. And I had not yet met my current advisor, uh, Dr. Figueroa. Um, and then I took a course with her. And I think that my experience has been really unique because as, an under, as a graduate student, I came in being able to take classes that were really transformative for me. So in my first semester, I took a class on decoloniality. And then I was able to meet students from different departments in that particular class. And then I was able to develop a faculty and mentoring relationship with the instructor for the course. Um, and going forward from there is when my graduate experience began to transform um, and began to evolve, really. I have been supported for the past two years uh, by our department financially in terms of being able to leave for the summer for two months um, to do archival research. In the summer of 2016, I was in Washington, D.C., at um, Howard University conducting archival research on Angelina Well Grimke. And this past summer, I was in between Spelman University and Emory University. Um, Spelman houses Audre Lorde's papers and Emory houses Alice Walker's papers. So the department has really been supportive of my intellectual endeavors. I have um, traveled to several conferences um, every semester, and that has been funded by the department. And I think that the so the idea of being underrepresented, to, to really break down what that means, right? So to be, to be vulnerable in multiple ways for, mm -hmm. for some people, right? So for me personally, there's this sort of financial vulnerability. Um, there can sometimes be um, vulnerability as it pertains to intellect, what I have or what I don't have, how I compare to the spectrum of students that are at the university or really the standards that are, that are embedded in English departments about what good is. Mm -hmm. So um, the fact that the department, and most specifically you, Dr. Uh, Neeland, the fact that you all have supported my intellectual endeavors, and I've had faculty to not only say that I should be a part of certain things, but who would invite me to be on panels with them. Mm -hmm. So that changes, I think, the course of my particular journey at MSU is that I, I had people actually supporting me, and that was praxis, right? It wasn't just hey, here's an email, apply to this conference. Right. It's, would you like to be on this panel with me alongside other scholars? Mm -hmm. So I think the most difficult thing is, is, you know, being a black lesbian in the Midwest, right? Which is why I think that there's a particular type of pressure on the department or, or at the institution to accommodate students who have diverse identities because the, the surrounding community cannot accommodate us. So we're in a unique position to sort of meet those demands. Mm -hmm. I think that I've had a unique experience. I'm not sure if other students of color could echo my remarks, mm -hmm. but speaking personally, you know, these have been some of the best four years of, of my academic experience. I wonder if you could, too, talk a little bit, Brianna, about your experience now mentoring other graduate students and how some of the, the encounters you've had with faculty mentors have translated into your work with new graduate students in the program, the relationships you've developed with them. 
Right. So uh, naturally, I am an introvert. So <laughs> initially, you know, m- the idea of mentorship never even like crossed my mind. I played basketball and that was a different type of mentorship. But um, I really do think what I what I tried to do was replicate the relationships that have helped sustain me while being here, not just being, you know, the only black person that black students can speak to, but actually being a student that is interested in the sort of intellectual endeavors and personal endeavors of the Mm -hmm. folks who are applying to the program. So something as simple as speaking to folks via email or talking to folks um, on the phone about my time here and being very transparent about the space, housing, um, connecting folks to other faculty. I I really do think that it is a a role that I have grown to enjoy. Mm -hmm. So I think that every student of color who attends or who's currently housed in our department, has had some sort of conversation with me. And it has continued um, going forward. And I really want to say that Tanya Braddix um, was, a, was a graduate student that I was in contact with very early on, and she has continued to message me throughout the process. So there is this sort of, um, I don't know, networking, subjectivity, I don't, I don't know what it is, but there is mm-hmm. this connection among folks of color in this particular department. And I think that replicating it or um, being invested in it has been something that I have grown accustomed to. Just picking up on one other thing that you mentioned in your in your last co- set of comments um, regarding how transformative it was to just be in a classroom that um, transfigured your your thinking right. and to have an encounter with a faculty member who whose intellectual pursuits pushed you in in, in new ways. Um, I wonder if if my colleagues at the table. Uh, Tamara, Divya, Yamira, if you would talk a little bit about how you see the relationship between the courses you teach and your work as mentors. And if you want to talk in particular about particular graduate courses you've taught recently, we'd, we'd love to know more about it. Sure. Um, one of the things, so in the spring of 2018, um, I taught a course uh, about black women's storytelling and so in that particular course, we looked at um, black women's nonfiction writing, so autobiographies, memoirs, and um, some poetry. And the thing that I appreciated about that course is that it actually allowed me to see that there was kind of a, not a hunger, because I don't think that's the right word, but there was like a, a space mm-hmm. that um, so many students from different disciplines really wanted to wanted to be in and think around. And so... For me, I think what it did is it really, the thing that opened up for me was thinking about how that space became a space, not necessarily for a mentor in the sense of I became a mentor to students, as much as it was an opening up for us to think about how we could learn from each other. Mm -hmm. And so the thing I thought that was um, exciting was some of the activities we did. I don't know if people expected that in a grad course. Mm -hmm. And so they would take that. I had a, a, a vast amount of students who were from the department from the College of Education, and they would come in and they say, I'm teaching a class, do you mind if I borrow this? Or if I have um, students in philosophy who are like, could I borrow this activity? And I'm like, sure, you know, just give me some credit for it. And so what we ended up doing in that particular class that I thought was was insightful was for students to reimagine what grad courses could look like mm-hmm. um, for them. And so I'm a very hands-on, sometimes I my uh, grad courses kind of look like K-12 classrooms because I'm like, we're going to get up and we're going to move around. Um, but they tried to create space in it as well for students to really do the thing that 
um, that I've been taught through women of color initiatives, that I've been taught through Woodrow Wilson, that I've been taught through with my own uh, faculty mentors, is that the space is not just a place for for you to be an academic, but for you to be a person. Mm -hmm. And so we try to open up uh, our classes with reflections and activities for people to be a little bit more um, reflective and aware of who they are. And so for me, that was probably one of the things that I never realized was so important until it came back to me through other students who weren't in my class. (laughs) Um, And they were like, I'm so sad I'm not in your class this semester. I heard I'm hearing all these great things. And I was like, really? I just we just did a, you know, we wrote out some ideas on a plate. So just for me, I think um, it makes me think about mentoring and being here differently Mm -hmm. um, and helping students see that um, it's not just about being a grad student who becomes a scholar as much as it is about being a becoming a scholar who can understand like who they are mm-hmm. in the in the world, and that's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what Tamara says really resonates uh, with me as well because I, I I come to this work as a poet and as a scholar and a researcher, and for me, um, you know, I, m- my pedagogical work is concerned with the care of the writing self. Um, and that care begins with sort of understanding how, like, embodiment and identity are, like, forming the methods that we use as researchers. And so, for example, um, I've been running a pro seminar um, on embodiment and writing practice um, that helps identify, uh, helps graduate students identify the forms of anxieties and joys and other affects that um, coagulate or emerge from certain processes of the research, of the writing, of the publication, um, of the questing, etc. Or, for example, I'll be teaching a graduate course um, in 2019 where the thematic concern is extremity of both form and um, method in contemporary poetry, but the, the other interest is how do we develop methodologies that are sustainable and suitable for our identities? Um, as researchers? How do we create methodologies that don't destroy the communities that have supported us um, on our journey as intellectuals, right? Um, so I think the the care of the whole person as a writer and intellectual, that is something that's that's been central to, to my work and my pedagogy, much like Tamara's. Mm-hmm. Um, while I've been here, I've taught a, a few graduate uh, seminars. The first one, I think, Brianna mentioned um, it was on um, decoloniality, decoloniality, diaspora, and the human. Um, so really, I was um, uh, trying to fundamentally question what is the humanities and what is the human. Um, how are these? Con- how were these concepts developed? Um, and then thinking through the ways in which both diaspora studies and decoloniality um, help to um, subvert and transform um, the the way that the human has been constructed um, in quote unquote modernity. And so um, in the class we read across disciplines, and for me that was really important because it was an English class. Um, but I wanted them to read um, um, across a vast array of works to become familiar with the ways that folks are writing. Um, through their understanding of how we come to to this place. And it actually um, 
was really informed by my teaching in African-American and African studies, thinking about race and my teaching in, um, when I was teaching at another institution, um, teaching Latin, uh, Latino studies and Caribbean studies. Um, my students' concerns with, like, let's solve the problem. Let's put, like, how do, we, how do we solve this, like, horrendous problem that we have? And so I would always say, like, you know, it's like you want to put a Band-Aid on it um, and you don't want to, like, kind of further excavate, right? And so we would always have this kind of back and forth. And so thinking about how systems of inequality and dehumanization um, are so deeply imbricated um, in our lives and in the world, um, and that um, there's this kind of moment of despair that happens mm-hmm. uh, when you realize how deep and how far back it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that like, um, but that the imaginings and the work and the literature, the creation, the music of um, peoples who have been um, kind of like on the underside of this like horrendous project of modernity um, really illuminate possibilities for hope and for transformation, for change and for survival, right? Um, and so for me, it was trying to say like, let's not, um, you know, analyze the symptom, but let's look at the kind of like, mm-hmm. let's try to reveal the larger structure and then figure out um, how it is that we have made it to this point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, in that class, we read across the but then we also read um, poetry and literature. I, you know, the students, you know, I try to do different activities but one of the things that we did in terms of the, the final assignment um, for all of my seminars has been really different. So rather than just like a term paper, um, for that uh, class, they had to write a conference paper. Um, so like a really succinct piece, something that they would present, something that they submitted. Mm-hmm. And so out of that came two, I think, panels at conferences. One that mm-hmm. Brianna was on mm-hmm. at the Caribbean Philosophical Association that had a student, students from English and even an undergraduate student who's now in a graduate program um, who I mentored throughout his time here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, then for my other uh, grad seminar, um, Poetics of Liberation and Relation, Women of Color, Feminist Thought, mm-hmm. right? um, we surveyed uh, kind of the, the uh, intellectual and literary history of women of color uh, feminist writers um, with a, a particular attention to how women of color tend to each other's material uh, productions. Like, so thinking about the ways that women of color, and in particular black women, have been able to pull other black women writers like, out of quote-unquote obscurity um, and tend to the, to the products, to the writing that they have done and done, done it in such a loving and generous way that we are able to have those texts with us now mm-hmm. and to really think of our uh, research and our writing as a practice. Um, that does that as we're thinking about text. I think oftentimes we're trained as critics and be critics first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in my graduate seminars, I really want my students to think about, like, what is the thing that you got out of this first? And then later, maybe you can tell me what, what didn't mm-hmm. work for you, mm-hmm. right? Um, so really thinking about how to transform the approach that we have to the text. And I think that really transforms the approach that we have with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, if we can be generous with something, um, with the work of someone, can we be generous with our own work and with our own selves as we're going through this process? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm teaching a graduate seminar right now in the Chicano Latino uh, Studies program. Um, which is a literary and cultural theory course. And it's a really exciting class. I wanted to teach this at an undergrad level, so mm-hmm. I just had to like do some changes to teach it at a graduate level. But I wanted to think about um, the work of um, Jose Martí um, as like a point of departure, who is this uh, Cuban um, intellectual and uh, anti, uh, you know, anti-imperial revolutionist. Um, and uh, he writes this letter in 1895 where uh, he's writing to his Mexican comrade, and he's saying, you know, I've... 
um, I know this country because he was in exile in the U.S. And he said, I've, I'm writing from the entrails of the monster, right? Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to, but Martin, on the other hand, is also someone who really believed in this project of mestizaje and this project of like the utopian kind of race. Um, and I wanted to, I want my students and I want us to think about throughout the semester, how is it that black and indigenous Latinx peoples, like outside of this project of mestizaje, this failed project, um, how are they writing from the entrails of this dying empire that we're in now? Um, and what does that writing look like? Mm. What does resistance writing look like? Um, thinking from Marti forward um, and thinking in very different terms than he's thinking. And we also do some kind of broader scaffolding of like, we just finished reading Sylvia Winter and uh, Nishinsani Osamu and um, Francis um, Aparicio's work and thinking about like the human and Copernicus and I'm, all types of things, you know? Um, but as a way to frame something for them as we move forward to thinking about um, how folks have been writing both in their academic work um, their academic research, um, but also um, in the literary poetics, right? How mm-hmm. does that? How does this kind of resistance emerge? And so for me, it's been exciting to have students and um, learn so much from them, especially my students who are coming from different disciplines about the ways that they teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, because the students facilitate oftentimes in class, they do really fun activities, mm-hmm. and I learn from from what they're doing, and it's, it's really cool. So it's really exciting, and I'm teaching another grad seminar in the spring that will hopefully become a required course in the English department mm-hmm. on race, gender, and the human. So... Yeah. And that course um, that, that Yamira is teaching in the spring is the, the, currently the one required course that we have, um, the one required theory course in the English department. And we're in the process of rethinking that requirement. And, and Yamira's um, course in the spring is going gonna, is gonna to help us in that endeavor. Um, as a way of sort of uh, putting a, an end to things and, and gesturing towards future podcasts. Um, I want to thank you all for sharing your thoughts on the program, sharing your research, sharing your uh, the work you're doing in the classroom, the amazing work you're doing in the classroom. Um, I also want to say that any of our efforts in the graduate program to uh, build uh, a program that we want to be invested in, that we want to care about, it's going to require the, the work and energies and intelligence of the people at this table. And I'm really grateful for your um, energies and thought and intelligence so far and look forward to um, working with you as we move forward with the MUSE program. Um, One thing I would say to listeners who are thinking about applying to the program, you have another uh, week or so. The the application deadline is September 15th. You can learn more about the program and apply online at www.muse.cal.msu.edu. Uh, and the application um, process is, is not super involved, and we mm-hmm. can't wait to, to read the applications and get this program off the ground. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for joining us on the first podcast of the Department of English graduate program. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.